And the other big thing, which I feel uh, quite frankly is really missing in tech is research. So <laughs> the quality of research that was hammered into me from day dot with ancient history, the, the level was extreme. I'm talking like perfect references, thorough research, and in particular going to primary sources before going to secondary sources. So going to primary sources, forming an opinion, and then coming back to secondary sources. And you're probably thinking, oh, how in the world does that, does that relate to, to tech? But I think for me, my mindset for competitors, so thinking about what we're doing with building a solution, it's all about thinking about the user, what they need, what the solution is, how we can deliver that to them. And it's not that we don't look at competitors, but they're a, a secondary thing that we look at. We're, we're not, if we were completely looking at competitors all the time, then we wouldn't be designing anything new or innovative. We wouldn't be looking forward. Join us in Mixing Business with Pleasure, a podcast about loving your work and working with your love. Your hosts, Mike and Gabby, are entrepreneurs who have found their passion in both their personal and professional relationship. The pair who swore never to work with each other are now working happily together side by side in love, life, and business. Tune in each week as we feature co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you. All right. Welcome to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We've got two incredible guests on the show today, Dean and Diane McPherson. These two have built a thriving tech company, Paperform, all while raising two young children. So Diani is a self-described accidental tech founder with a formal background in ancient history. She has a master's in museum studies and originally worked as a curator. Dean was a music and philosophy major who made his way into development and never looked back. And uh, he was the mastermind of the initial idea of Paperform back in 2016. And as much success as these two have had with paper form, they say that the proudest achievement is their two young boys who are one and two years old. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of great information for us to glean from this conversation. So Ina Diani, welcome to Mixing Business with Pleasure. Thank you so hey, much, Mike and Gabby. Good to be here. We're so excited to have you guys on the show. I'm glad and to finally chat with you too. Uh, number one, because you guys are in Australia, so the time difference uh, obviously makes it tough to schedule. And then Two young children make it even uh, even harder, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. So, welcome, and we're excited to chat. Yeah, us too. We can always make that that time zone thing. We're, we're used to it. We're being Australian. You're just always you're, you're the odd man out most of the time. <laughs> in the industry, you just got to make it work. Wonderful. Well, we always start off our show with uh, two simple questions. The first one is what, because work is a four-letter word and love is a four-letter word, what are each of your favorite four-letter words? I'm like, co coffee's not a four-letter yeah, word. exactly what I thought too. Oh, I was thinking cafe. <laughs> there you go. That works. Yeah. Cafe, yeah. cafe is a good... Uh... You can tell it's eight o'clock in the morning here, right? <laughs> Yeah, and then the other four letter words, I don't think I'm allowed to say on air, but um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, I think probably cafe. What What about you? Uh, I, I, I don't know, four letter words. Baby. Baby is a good, yeah, <laughs> baby is a good one. Baby is a good one. The, I think I'm a bit stumped because I I, I kind of love, it's, this is a bit of food. A, a play on words. <laughs> I, food, food is a good one, actually. Food is also a good one. Word. But I think work is is a great, it's kind of taken at the moment, but I think it's a great four letter word. Just work, work, babies, food, cafe. 
Work Babies Food Cafe and Love. I think we've got the whole thing covered. Yeah. Wrap it up. <laughs> there is no right or wrong answer for this one. And in fact, we've had some guests that have had five letter words and three letter words. So we're kind of flexible, but th this is a fun one that we like to start with. But I think we got some really wonderful words. And I think that those words, knowing a little bit about your background, and we're going to dive into that in this call, knowing uh, about you guys, at least from what we could find online, I think those words really do sum up some of the wonderful dialogue that we're going to have today. And then next question, and this should hopefully not trip you guys up. What came first, business or love? Love. love. So tell us a little bit about your love story. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I guess it's a fun one. Wait, how much of it do we... Yeah, we went, go from the start, you may as well. We were next door neighbours in student housing. And how do I say this diplomatically? No, I don't know. <laughs> I can just say it. Uh, so Dean and I were friends, uh, pretty much friend-zoned him without, like, intentionally friend-zoned him. There's a bit of an age difference between us. So, three and a half years. Yeah, Johnny's three and a half years older than I am. So when we met, I would have been 18. Yeah. And Johnny was 21. Okay. And, yeah, instantly, <laughs> like... Student housing, so you're, you're hanging with a bunch of people, which are all friends. Really tight. And like, a tight group of people. We would leave but, our doors open and yeah. just go into each other's apartments. Sometimes you'd go into someone's apartment and you would just sit there and read for company. You, you wouldn't have to be there for a reason. It was that, that kind of closeness. Yeah. So definitely like friend-zoned for, what, like a year and a half yeah, Dean has so, watched me date some pretty awful people. <laughs> so, Dean, you you had, based on what you're telling me, you you, you had feelings for Diani almost immediately. Would that, is that fair to say? Was, well, actually, oh, I like these questions. Yeah, <laughs> Diani loves these questions. Um, well, actually, when we when we first met, Diani was dating someone else. So, okay. I didn't even enter my mind. We entered it. We we actually started a relationship as just friends because. Yeah, but you thought I was cute. Yeah, you're definitely cute. <laughs> but you but you're off the market. Dean's a straight shooter. He's a stand-up yeah. guy. But I think he broke up with that guy. I don't know, probably three or four months in, and yeah. and I was actually really good friends with Diony's brother, who she was living with That's as well at the time. Yeah. So okay. we, I know we spent lots of time around each other. Yeah. It, somewhere in the course of that year and a half, it, it developed into we became feelings. We yeah, we became really good friends, and then I still kind of didn't think think that way at all. And I actually remember having a really clear moment where uh, Dean, you didn't, you didn't like say anything super direct, but you, no, not my way <laughs> but you made it quite obvious, I think, in the way that we were hanging out. You, you did something, I can't remember what it was, that made it clear that you had feelings for me. And I was like, oh, whoa, I never even thought about this before. Because at the time I was in my 20s and he was, I think, still 19 when this <laughs> happened. And in my head, I was just that like, was a big deal to her you can't time. date a teenager. You're too old to date a teenager now. Um, <laughs> I look back on that now and I think I oh, have stupid. But yeah, I, I remember walking to the train station and stopping and just being like, oh, like you've dated such, quite frankly, jerks in the past. And this is someone that you know really well who treats his family and particularly his sisters really well. He's incredibly lovely. You share the same values. Uh, and it's not that you're not attracted to him. You just haven't thought about it before. And then it kind of just clicked. And I was like, give this person a chance. Wonder. I love that story. Well, and if it makes you feel better, there's a slight age difference with me and Mike as well. I'm six months older than him. And <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, and at first sight, we, we would always joke and say, oh, you know, you because Mike has a track record of dating older women. Prior to me, there were a couple of really significantly older ladies that he dated. But this, this podcast is not about this us. This podcast about is them, not about so. us. But I just wanted to throw that out there that, that we have a little bit of a of an age difference. And at the end of the yeah. day, you know, age is not just a number, right? And I think what better thing to have than a man who appreciates a woman with maturity and wisdom. And Yeah, it speaks to maturity, Mike. It's oh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. See, we're going to get along just fine. Yeah. <laughs> So you guys, uh, you guys have been married for what about ten years now, right? Yeah, in February. Maybe ten years in Feb, yeah. Well, yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yep, you were together for quite a while before you decided to go into business together. Tell us about that. How did you go from okay, we have you know our individual careers and we're doing our thing to you know let's jump in and start a tech company? Yeah, it's pretty crazy how it all happened, really. So 
we got married pretty young. I was what, 21, the only was 24. Just turned 24, yeah. Yeah, just turned 24. We were both still studying at the time. Like we've, like you said in our intro, things that were pretty unrelated to the tech industry. So we certainly was not in our minds <laughs> back, back when we first got together to ever run a business together. I think we've always been quite organic, haven't we, though, in the way that we do things. We've never planned that far too ahead. far ahead <laughs> for certain things. We've always, we always knew that we wanted to have a big family and uh, we wanted to have kids. And up, apart from that, I think we were very open to whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. But fast forward a couple of years and I've been working as a, so out of uni college, I, I got work as a programmer, talked myself into a web development job. And yeah, did a Bachelor of Arts majoring in, in philosophy, philosophy and music and then was like, oh, I'm, I'm going like, to oh, now I need to make money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love how both of you guys have such a very unique background in terms of your studies and what, you know, what you, what you studied in school. Diani, you studied anthropology, history, right? Um, yeah, ancient history and archaeology, yeah. Right, I mean, completely <laughs> unrelated in many, in many ways to, to tech and, and, and SAS, the industry that you're in now. And Dean, your, your, your major was in music. So also very different. And, and, and I love that you guys took your experiences in your, in your, career, in your college careers but then kind of decided, nope, this is where we're going to do this, is what we're going to do, we're going to do something different. So I, I just, how does, how does your background in terms of what you study, does it, does it have a big effect on what you're doing now? Or is it just more of a passion and a project and something that you hope to maybe come back to at some point? Oh, I think massive, like for my part, and I know, I'll oh, totally, yeah, thanks. Uh, I can totally speak for you a little bit from my experience of working with developers in particular, so I'll quickly talk about Dean and then you know, talk, talk about me. and then talk about <laughs> me. Um, well, no, I just want to say like it's so nice having you know going through working in the arts and culture and then moving into Google Arts and culture and and further into tech, which I've always loved what tech can do in disseminating knowledge and making things accessible, which is where the connection comes in between being a curator and bringing collections to people but working throughout that whole process before working with Dean working with developers they're really really lovely don't get me wrong but very very wooden thinking in a certain way and very disconnected from the way that humans often operate make them sound like robots but mainly in that they think often and have they have to think so logically and be in such a, a frame of mind that it becomes difficult to then potentially make a, a user interface that is human rather than just something that's logical. So when I started working with Dean, it was so refreshing. I think his background in music uh, and in philosophy and in challenging ways of thinking made it very easy. I think he was still a little bit on that, on that side of things when, when we first started working together, but it was easy, I think, because of our relationship as well, to push him to, to think about, okay, this, this thing that you've designed uh, is great, but it's actually a little bit too logical and it's going to just miss the mark a little bit and I think you pick that up really really quickly yeah I think it's something that's that's a constant iteration so for me the the jump between what I studied and what I actually do day to day it isn't as big as you think it would be especially coming like I, I did a double major in philosophy and music and music definitely is probably more on that passion project side one day I'll get back to it Category. Kick ass with guitar, people. Um, oh wow, nice! Need to throw that in there, but keep going. Sorry. But, <laughs> but, but philosophy uh, really is fantastic at training your mind to, to hold big concepts, which is really important in, in programming. A lot of programming is holding an architecture of how something works in your mind, and then also just lots of logic, lots of formal logic. So I've, I found going from programming from studying philosophy full-time to programming actually a pretty logical jump but yeah i think i think where music play comes in is like like Diana was kind of touching on there the the softer skills of development so you know design interfaces actually thinking about how is a human going to interact with this not just how does a computer think but how do people think all those things are i think are great skills that have been extracted from studying those those things yeah and, and for me it's two things i think along the same lines, firstly, the way 
that people behave has been a big part of you know my, my study before moving into tech and I'm fascinated by how people behave I'm the person who just finds every single detective uh, show possible on Netflix and, <laughs> and watches those purely because I'm like why do people do these things and think they can get away with it what are they thinking well um, I have a I have a good one for you if you haven't already watched it I don't know if it's streaming in Australia it's it's a it's a Japanese show called what is it Mike duty and shame like Giri Haji or something? Giri and Haji. Those are the Japanese words. Um, but it's based in Tokyo and then in London and there's the Yakuza and the English mob. And it's just a dynamic, fascinating show. So little plug for that Netflix show. Yeah, there. We I'm just finished watching that. that. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. We, we spend a lot of time watching some <laughs> choice entertainment. So that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but so so human behavior has always fascinated me. And I, I think history, I think when a lot of people think about history, they just think about events or this event happened in this time. And it really, especially with critical thinking, that's not what you're doing at all. You're looking at why people behave the way they do. What's their interpretation of, of uh, a particular situation? And for me in particular, because my background is mainly in languages, so Hebrew and classical Greek, and then a little bit of Latin uh, translation, isn't a matter of just finding equivalence. It's not a matter of saying this word equals this word. It's about saying, okay, this is what it says in the original language. How do we express that? How much idiomatic language can we use? And, and this balance of fine tuning, it's it's quite a difficult process to do well. Uh, and that that comes through with, with tech in a big way, because I'm thinking about how, how do we communicate everything from the product to our brand and who we are. And the other big thing, which I feel, uh, quite frankly, is really missing in tech is research. So <laughs> the quality of research that was hammered into me from day dot with ancient history, the, the level was extreme. I'm talking like perfect references, thorough research, and in particular, going to primary sources before going to secondary sources. So going to primary sources, forming an opinion and then coming back to secondary sources. And you're probably thinking, oh, how in the world does that, does that relate to, to tech? But I think for me, my mindset for competitors, so thinking about what we're doing with building a solution, it's all about thinking about the user, what they need, what the solution is, how we can deliver that to them. And it's not that we don't look at competitors, but they're a, a secondary thing that we look at. We're, we're not, if we were completely looking at competitors all the time, then we wouldn't be designing anything new or innovative. We wouldn't be looking forward. So I think that had a profound impact and just on the, the quality of work. So my problem probably is that I like to, I'm like, my standards are a bit too yeah, high. Just, I like things to be too You always the perfectionist in our relationship. <laughs> she's, she's the, she would still be spending all of her time writing her first blog post if she could be. <laughs> but then my, I had no background in SEO and ended up doing pretty well with blog posts early on purely because I treated them, I treated them like articles, like, uh, like publications and reference them in a similar way using links Absolutely. and then ended up doing well because no one else bothers, well, yeah, bothers to do that. <laughs> yeah. I can absolutely relate to you on the perfectionist side. And, you know, as we were reading some of your, your, your background and your notes and information that you, you provided, one of the things that I loved in your, in, in your, in your bios that Diana, you mentioned that, you know, you are the one that over communicates and over documents and over does everything. And Dean, early on in the relationship or in your business relationship, you know, as the dev, you know, he's thinking about building and what does it look like and, and all this, you know, coding and so on and so forth. And he didn't do any sort of documentation or any sort of process development. Well, I would say, I, I would say, I think I, I, and I've definitely probably expressed that wrong in, yeah in the past is he he does but it's all in his head so someone's ability to have access to that is really hard and and oh, short awesome. short short of sticking a usb port directly <laughs> into dean's head you know that 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 is tough because that's that is something that mike and i have a similar uh a, a similar working style that it's all in mike's head and for me i have to put it out and we have to write it and we have to review it and the only thing with that is i i found for us early on there's really just a time and a place for everything so i, I a lot of that dynamic was wasn't just the way we think it's the teams we'd worked in before so Diony was coming out of 
Google essentially when we when we first started working together. Uh, much more process oriented, larger scale teams. Even though the the teams that she worked on were smaller in scale, you're still part of that holistic organization with all of its processes in place. But also like complicated to cross functional yeah. across multiple time zones and whereas I was coming out of a, another startup where I was just working as a developer and team of three people. So the need the need for documentation and process and communication is actually far less when you're at that small scale. So I think a lot of the attention early on was I know you want to document this, but there's no point documenting it because it's going to be different to how we do it in six months time. But there's documenting and then there's knowing what's going on oh absolutely I, i'm not i'm not saying there was there was no need for me to shoot <laughs> at yeah, all yeah. So, but. so this is the, we're getting like the inside uh, view of how you guys would handle a, a disagreement so how how did you guys get over that what did, what was the solution i mean obviously you had dean like you mentioned you, you you know you came from different cultures and environments and you're working and building your own so how did how did you work through that disagreement if you will and how, how did you what do you guys do now I think we've we've learned to be really good with communication and not ironically, even though we're married and love each other and work together, not being too personal about the way that someone's thinking. It's not personal, the, the you know dynamic that you have. The way I work isn't an attack on you. Yeah, it isn't a personal <laughs> attack. And okay, let's see why this why the other person thinks the way that they're thinking and how much of that is do I have to actually swallow my pride? I think humility is important. And putting ego aside is hugely important and saying, okay, how much of this actually does make sense? And I just need to suck it up and be like, okay, we'll do that. And then how much do you need to push back on and say, no, 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 I believe in this. And this is the, the, the what we're talking about now is like the single biggest tension point I think we've had is that, that you had everything in, internally processed yeah, and yeah. started out small and I wanted everything documented. But a big part of that for me that I realized early on was just being able to know what's going on and saying, hey, I'm a co-founder. I'm an equal and yeah, we don't need to, in the end going, okay, we don't need to document everything. It took me a while to get there, but don't need to document everything right now, but I do need to know what's going on and I, I can't do my job and I can't contribute properly if that's not the case. And, I, and Dean got that pretty quickly. Well, after a lot of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up some really beautiful points that I want to reiterate for our audience. You mentioned communication, which is huge in any sort of relationship and especially a relationship where there's business involved and on top of that the fact that you're married and then you mentioned one other very very critical thing that i think is so important to reiterate is that you know what dean might think and how it differs from the way you think diani it's not a personal attack on you and that can often be a, a, a sticking point for couples that work together because you know you take at least I know for myself, I take what I do very personally and very seriously, not only in per, you know in my personal life, but also in my professional life. And there, and I and I would suspect that there are a lot of other couples out there that are struggling with that point where you know the couple might differ on on a particular point, but making that clear distinction that it's not a personal attack. It's a professional difference. And the way that you work that out, you know, tell us how you guys sort those things out. So, I mean, in that particular instance, I think we just started figuring out what processes we actually did want to build into our culture early on. Uh, so one of the things that Dionne brought in uh, really early on, which I think I was pretty resistant to at first, but has been really valuable, is just doing our weekly team sync. Even when it was just the two of us, we sit down and we... And I mean, at first it was essentially we'd sit down and I would watch Dionne write because she loves to have everything written. And her idea of having a meeting is we need to get this all on, on paper. So it was kind of watching Dionne speak to herself and, and write, but also well, engage in her. The reason, the reason it was that and what was, was very different as a married couple as well, I think for a, working with a, someone that I didn't live with in particular, the meeting would be a discussion of ideas as well as the documentation of that. Mm -hmm. But in our case, because we live together, our meetings were doing the dishes, talking. Our meetings were, you know, lying in bed, reading a book, turning to the other person saying, hey, I had this idea. So by the time you get to a sink in a meeting, yeah. you're, you are kind of just documenting. But I don't want to do that alone. I can't oh, no, recall everything that we've been through <laughs> by myself. It's entertaining. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it, it, that 
it's a, a good thing to bring up actually because now we have records going back yeah. if we want to so, so it's something that has been really valuable fast for three years now, now we've grown our team and it's like we if we want to see what we did at a certain period of time we can go back and look at that week and we've got a, a nice rounded summary of what we're working on while we're working on it at the time i was like this is just in the way because i just need to get this next thing done <laughs> but but now it's, it's actually something that's that's been very helpful to introduce to our team as we've grown yeah and and for me i, I think where where it was excellent it was a refiner's fire for me i uh, was stopping and saying okay just because you've done something in the past as a process and it's worked for you that doesn't mean that's going to work here and you need to be able to look at the way that you're operating and make sure that the the documentation and the processes that we have they're here to serve us they're here to facilitate what we do and so what do we want to keep and what do we want to throw out based on that um, so just out of curiosity are you guys using a particular platform for your your documentation or is this just like you know word doc google doc it started just with, with google docs and then moved into notion and yeah we're in notion and now. it means google docs and, and or drive and whatever it was called at the time and trello yeah we didn't use trello for that though did we i think uh, who knows I think I, just, I think I just <laughs> used it in general. And then we, we definitely graduated as our teams. Yeah, for, in terms of documentation, we were definitely in Drive for, for quite a bit in Google Docs. And now, yeah. now we, we use Notion for a lot of our internal documentation. Yeah, I looked at it as an option for us at one point, I remember. Mikey rejected so, it, though. He went, no, not for us. It's, it's best thing about it is that it's really flexible. And it's worst thing about it is that it's really flexible. So yeah. it's it's how structured you are as a person that will make it structured. Which is exactly <laughs> why I why I didn't go that route because I'm yeah. not a very structured person. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about uh, about paper form specifically. I mean, we we talked a little bit about how you guys got started, but first of all, for the audience, quickly tell us what paper form is. It started out as a a simple, uh, high quality form builder that addressed some pain points that we felt weren't being addressed, and now I think it's turned into a much more beasty tool that can do a lot more or i think maybe has has grown with with what forms and grown and evolved with as the need for for forms has grown and evolved with businesses as well yeah well i like that i like that explanation it's, it's good um yeah i mean the, the the short answer is we're a form builder and that's a pretty easy one for people to understand because at some stage most people who work in a business online have used a form builder we differentiate in, in a couple of different ways, which we can definitely dive into. But I mean, that, that's one of the questions I have is, you know, I mean, it's a fairly crowded space, right? It's you got some big players in there who I won't mention by name at this point, you know, and, and a lot of them have, you know, VC funding, et cetera. And you know, my understanding is you guys are bootstrapped, right? Bootstrapped. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, how talk about sort of the differentiators and, you know, why get into that space and how did you, you know, how do you, breakthrough and you know differentiate yourself sure sure so uh part of our inspiration early on was actually we have a friend who runs like a holiday kids club and he came to me like eight years ago and said can you build me a registration form for this kids club we're doing it all with paper at the moment and <laughs> filling in like 40 questions per child paying in cash but it was, it's quite popular they do, they do like 150 kids so that, that turns into to quite the the paper burden. So the first time he asked me to do to build in this form, I was like, well, why don't you just use something else that's out there on the market? And obviously being a developer, I went and had a look and I, and I didn't like anything really. For that specific use case, he, had, he, had a, he has quite a strong brand around his program and the requirements were like, yeah, I want to register multiple children at a time. I want to take payment. I want to capture heaps of information because it's not just like ticketing it's not just i want to buy a ticket it's i've got to capture all the information about the child the dietary requirements who their friends with uh who their parent and guardians are and, uh, and all the while <laughs> the optimum medication plans <laughs> yeah and all the while making sure they they know that this this is definitely the program they're after this is yeah uh the the brand that they're familiar with and and how do i communicate what we're actually going to be doing contextualize all of this data in a more of a rich way than just having question fields. And yeah, and, and, and above all, it just needs to look and feel good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 
when I realized there was, there was nothing out there that really met my, my standards for him, I ended up building him this custom form because I'm obviously a programmer, uh, which, which I maintained for him every, every time he ran this program, he would come <laughs> to me and say, oh, we need to change the dates here and can we change, tweak this question? And I would update it and inevitably forget to change a date in somewhere in one of the emails that gets sent or something like that. But that put that plan that seed of there, there, is a, there is a problem here which isn't being served by the form market. So did that, did that turn into the MVP then in one way, shape or form or? Uh, actually, no. So he, he, that person does actually use paper form now. We can say his name, Chris. He's not Chris. Voldemort. So, yeah. <laughs> Chris uses that now. <laughs> Voldemort uses that now. Um, <laughs> but initially it just sparked that, that use case of, I want to have a form that is brandable. So it looks like your brand. It doesn't look like our brand. Uh, so, so we, don't push paper form branding heavily on our forms. On our lowest, on our lowest tier, we have a, a tiny footer that's powered by paper form, and that's it. Compared to some of the other players in the space that we could just like scream it on every success page, and <laughs> yeah. uh, we it's something we consciously did early on to say, no, no, your forms are about you. They're your content. They're, we we want people to know that they're about, that they're made with us, but in as as unobnoxious of a way as possible. Yeah. <laughs> So we wanted the form to look like your brand. We wanted it to be able to comp uh, capture rich, complicated information. So having things like conditional logic, having that really easy for people to set up. And we wanted it to be able to take payments. So payments is a really interesting one in that a lot of form builders have had some kind of payment support, but it's never been a priority for a form builder. It was quite a priority for us early on. So we support uh, Stripe, Square, Braintree, PayPal, payment gateways. But we also support subscriptions for Stripe and Braintree. So you can sign up recurring business through your forms. As well as custom like dynamic pricing. So if you're, if you're in a service-based industry and someone needs to fill out how many hours they need you for, you can automatically calculate dynamically what, what is the total cost going to be and then charge that in the form in one place. There's a beautiful quote that you have on your LinkedIn page that I want to, want to read it out loud because I think it really sums up um, what you're talking about, Dean and Diani. And I also want to dive into it a little bit. It, it is, I'm going to read it. It says, we are a remote team with a common dream to democratize digital creation. And I love that line. I think it's brilliant. That's our mission. Yeah. I, I love that. I, well, okay. Beautiful. I didn't see it on the website, but I did see it on the LinkedIn page. So I love that that's your mission. And I love that. I love it for two reasons. Number one, it's just simple and it's really easy to understand. And I think in broad terms, it really does encapsulate what it is that paper form can do for people because the average business owner out there today doesn't have a ton of marketing experience for sure doesn't have web and tech and developmental experience and so there's all these you know companies out there that say we can do this and we can do that and we can do that but at the end of the day sometimes business owners need to be able to do things quickly in an agile way on their own figure it out so i love that this is your mission statement and is also the sort of the backbone of what paper form can do for your for your audience and for your users one other thing that i absolutely love about this mission statement is that right up in the front you talk about the fact that you are a remote team and that is something that speaks to us we are a fully remote agency and i recognize that everybody in the world today is currently remote or at least partially remote or was remote for a period of time. I want to talk a little bit about how paper form is set up remotely, you know, and we, this kind of dovetails into what we were talking about before about document documentation and making sure that things are, are set in a way so that it can be repeatable. Tell us a little bit about your, your company culture and how you maintain your remote team. And tell us, are you, are, is your team mostly based in Australia? Do you have teams across uh, across the pond so to speak tell yeah, us a we, little bit about that we do. <laughs> i think the way that we there, there's a practical way that we operate and then there's a thing that drives us and and i think about i've been thinking about this a lot lately thinking about the definition of success people particularly within tech often just assume that everyone wants to be a unicorn everyone wants to be a billion dollar business and it's not that that's something that we will say no to i mean heck you know bring it on so be it if that's the case but our our definition of success really is 
about having a particular lifestyle being available to our kids and Paperform, we start we actually started as a lifestyle business so the idea was that we would have something living in an expensive city that we wanted to stay in because we love it we wanted something that would be able to pay us a decent salary and we could determine what our hours are and spend time with our family as our family grew and that was pretty much it but then the business grew the product was really well received what a good problem to have but we got to the end of 2018 and we had to make a conscious decision about what this was going to be we we realized it was growing bigger than just a lifestyle business and so both of us being really ambitious we were like okay let's just do this let's let's run with this and see how far we can go but when we made that decision we, we still wanted to keep as part of our culture we wanted to keep as much of those values in place uh, so that was originally our idea of success for us was a certain lifestyle and an enjoyment of work and pride in the quality of product that we were building and the way that we treat people. And so we've pushed that. I, I like to think, and I hope that we've really pushed that into our company culture as we've grown the team. But also um, just a rec <coughs> sorry, just a recognition that work is really important and we love what we do and we love our products, but the people, the people are more important. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, and also that, that there's more to life than just turning up and working. So I think part of building that as part of our, our remote culture where we expect people to do their work and we have expectations that you know, they'll be working a certain amount of the day, but giving them the flexibility when possible to, to decide that for themselves, to, make, to be able to actually live their best possible lives around and with work, I think is, is something that's uh, incredibly valuable to us culturally because part of that is why we did this for ourselves in the first place yeah and i Absolutely. personally felt so much frustration in the past as well where I, you know working i don't know what the arts is like around the world exactly but in australia <laughs> trying to get a, a permanent paid position that will eventually give you maternity leave here is ridiculously competitive and i, I became frustrated at and because a lot of uh, institutions are government run there's this standard lot of of criteria that you have to meet to be able to get a job and if you haven't had the experience before in the past even though you you might be the best fit for the job you it will probably go to someone else who just ticks the boxes and i got really frustrated about not being able to land a permanent full-time position in what i loved doing and not basically just not being given a, what we would call a fair go in australia and so now when we look for employees there are certain positions where you should have experience but there's a lot where we just look for attitude and we look for who someone is and their ability to to create and develop themselves uh, so you know we have on our team of 10 there are two there's actually two of us who used to be chefs uh, and come from a kitchen environment who don't have any formal education in tech uh, or in programming and one of them is a is an excellent developer now and the other one works in customer success, but also creation of a lot of our resources and content. And he's, he's brilliant. Yeah. So that, I think that's a huge value that we've, yeah. we've brought through. And I think that also matches us. Obviously we didn't come from traditional tech backgrounds. Yeah. So, so we're less hung up on, I've got a computer science degree or I've got eight years working behind a support desk. I love everything that you guys are talking about, your philosophy on work and, and life and family and being people first, and also your willingness to look outside of a resume or outside of what somebody has done prior and think about who that person is as a person, what can they bring to the team, what, what, of, what of them as a person attracts you to them. And I absolutely love that. That's a lot of those same philosophies are very similar to how we operate our business. And I think it's a beautiful lesson that others out there that are starting a business, especially if you're starting a business with your spouse and you and your spouse don't have the similar background or you're starting a company that's completely outside of your skill set, think about who would be a good person for your team and not just a resume, you know, looking at a resume, but really looking at the person from uh, from a, a culture perspective and a personality and attitude perspective. So their, their attitude, I think, yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. That I think attitude is one of the biggest things that we look for. If if someone is 
assertive but at the same it's like this balance of being assertive and humble at the same time and being able to leave ego behind that's probably one of the biggest things that we look for and it's funny I think people think about these things as kind of a a fuzzy warm la-di-da we're a big family kind of thing and don't get me wrong I definitely see our team as some kind of a a motley career family but there's a very practical uh, benefit to this as well when you're hiring people who really want to be there who you can you can invest in so for us it's about investing in them and seeing them grow that really turns around and, and it benefits your business uh, the, the the practical implications of that are hugely beneficial yeah but I think the other aspect of that as well is because we have always been remote attitudes even more important because you need to find people that yeah I think as a lot of people can resonate with this in the world right now, remote work is fantastic if you're built for it, but, but there are a lot of people that they may, they don't thrive in this kind of environment. Yes. So finding people that, you know, are self-motivated enough that you know that they're actually going to have the willpower to, to kind of self-manage because it's, you can't, you can't micromanage in some kind of environment. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, you're- that's an argument I've had with a number of people who lately who can, you know, everybody's going to start screaming out there that, you know, remote work's the future. And I'm sure it is to a certain extent, but it's it just like you said, it's not for everybody. And I don't think everybody, now I think more people are understanding it now that we've been in it for, you know, five months at this point. But that first couple of months, there's a lot of people, I think, had a lot of misconceptions about what remote, remote work was. I want to jump back to something you're talking about, you know, this being a lifestyle business and that sort of causing you to look at, um, you know, personality and who the person is rather than their resume. Obviously with that, if you're bringing in a chef who doesn't have any background in development, I'm assuming there's a pretty rigorous training program. Is that something that you guys do internally? Is you outsource that? You know, how do you bring on a somebody from a from the kitchen and put them behind the computer and have them start developing? We should clarify. Yeah, so we should we should clarify that one. So that the person who's that was a chef and is now a developer is actually he's my brother-in-law. So he's married to yeah. my sister. Um, and he, he taught himself. So he'd, he'd been out he, two years ago, he was running a cafe with my sister. I've got a couple of kids. Uh, it was doing okay, but it's, it's a hard, it's a hard business to be in. And he's, and he's got the mind for programming. Like I've known him for 10 years. He's, he's got the mind for it. And he, he signaled that he was interested in learning and he started teaching himself. And he asked me a couple of questions over the past few years about what kind of things we use and what kind of things would be useful to know, which, you know, they're the, they're the little, oh, I could be interested in a role sometime if you're ever, if you're ever looking. So when we hit this stage in end of 2018, where we were like, oh, we really need to um, either figure out how to scale this business without us going crazy, or we need to start hiring people to help us grow, to work in this business. And we, we decided to obviously start hiring people. It was, it was an obvious choice to go, here's somebody that we know and trust who's, Got the aptitude. Uh, we know, we know he's he's never worked in a professional environment in this, but we're very confident in his ability to pick it up, especially having self-directed taught himself a lot. So we do we look for. I think that's probably a good way to say it for Alex, our other hire as well, is that it's not that we don't look for certain skills and abilities for, for that fit a job. It's that that those skills and abilities don't have to be demonstrated in traditionally. Uh, certified ways mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so with Alex as well uh, you know uh, looking at his background he he was working as a chef full-time you know working to the bone as they tend to do but then on the side you know he was doing a bunch of other stuff that really spoke to his desire even more so because you know we, we know what it's like to be in a full-time job and then you start something on the side and you're passionate about it and you just about it's not sustainable in the long run but you just about kill yourself for it to begin with Yes, but but then yeah, when we bring them in, there there is the training that we do is much more to do with what what is, uh, I mean the product is really really robust now and complex, so we we take them through it in as much detail as possible. But then also a lot of our training is around how we behave and how we speak to people, uh, because you can always learn something about the product that you don't know by by talking to someone else on the team and having very open lines of communication. But how we communicate who we are as a brand and interact with our customers. Uh, that's something that you've really got to reinforce early on. That's probably, especially for, for me, the, that's the Especially on the customer success side. Yeah. Yeah. 
well, everyone's customer success to a degree <laughs> in our team, but yeah. True. You guys take mixing business with pleasure to a, another degree, because not only are you a husband and wife founder and, and spouses and you work together, but you also have your brother-in-law that works in the company too. So that's awesome. I'm loving this conversation. I wish we didn't have to end so quickly, but if we would be remiss if we didn't talk about more on the pleasure side of your your relationship specifically that um, you know we did hear a little bit about how you guys communicate and you have stand-up meetings and just meetings throughout your day to kind of ensure that you guys are on the same page and 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 working towards a similar vision but one of the things that i think is so valuable to mention because I think it will add so much learnings to people out there right now is you have two small children. You have a one-year-old and a two-year-old, so they're very close in age, and they're still at a point where they're wearing diapers and probably not quite potty trained and maybe not 100% sleeping through the night and still needing uh, a lot of mom and dad time, a lot of time yeah. with, with their parents or with a full-time caregiver. When we started our business, our daughter was uh, two. And in many ways, it was easy for us because she would take long naps so we could get a lot of work in. Yeah. But with two under two, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you manage and continue to have that lifestyle that you're looking for and that, that you started with paper form with two young boys. And, and how does that translate also to, you know, your team and, and their families? We get help, Gabby. Um, I think that's <laughs> a, it's a really important thing to say because I think people go, oh, these, these people are super, super men and women and whatever. And there was a time where I tried really hard, probably about the same time that we had to uh, make a decision about what the business was going to, how the business was going to grow beyond what we thought it initially would be where uh, I just resisted help because I was like, I want to be like my, my main goal in life was to just be a mom. And I'm the youngest of five. Dean's the youngest of five. We both have incredible moms who are there for us. And we value that. And I, I just wanted that more than anything. But then I found that I was so obsessed with doing both <laughs> and doing both to a really high standard, the quality um, yeah, both suffer. Yeah, suffer. There's a, I think Gordon Ramsay said it once on our Australian MasterChef. I can't remember exactly how he said it because it was so incredible, but essentially he said that there's always a sacrifice. Like you can't, the idea that you can have your cake and eat it too and that there's this perfect balance is almost never true. There's a sacrifice. Something's got to give. There's a cost. Absolutely. And what I found was the minute I stopped, I went, oh, hold on, I, I do need help here. And I took the help. For us, it was in the form of a nanny. Uh, part-time a part-time nanny it it meant then that my quality time with the boys that I had I was able to get my work done properly and then turn around and then the time I had with the boys all of a sudden was what it should be and it was much higher quality so yeah I mean we have a cleaner we have a nanny uh, we have incredible grandparents we have each other we because we work together in the beginning especially we did a lot of shift work yeah yeah we still do quite a bit of shift work of shift yeah. work but Freddie and Sterling, our boys, they, they have an awesome day nap together, which is great. Yeah. They so do we, like we do two still hours. get nap time. They're both really <laughs> terribly you can. Fantastic yeah. day naps. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. I love this conversation so much. I love everything we've talked about, your attitude on remote work and the values that you bring to the company, the culture that you strive to have in your business, and also just keeping it real because... People out there right now are, 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 for the first time, probably ever, companies, organizations are recognizing or at least have to come to terms with the fact that employees have a life outside of work and they have a family. And like you said, Dean, I think you said this earlier in the conversation, that work is not always the most important thing in someone's life. It's their family. It's, it's their, maybe their hobbies, maybe they're a caretaker for an elderly relative or whatever it might look like. And work is important and you know, you have to have passion for it. You have to have an interest in it, but there's always something outside of work that's pulling you. And right now in this time of COVID, when <laughs> we're working remote and, uh, and we're figuring it out and kids are maybe going to school, maybe not going to school, distance learning, whatever that might look like companies are recognizing that they have to give their employees the freedom and the flexibility and also the 
respect that they need as parents or as caregivers or you know what their life outside of work and so i love that you guys not only recognize that but that's a huge part and cornerstone of your business and other the other thing that you said diani which is so true and so uh, valuable out there to listen is that um entrepreneurs need help we can't do it all we don't always have the answers we don't always have the resources and and that is also a huge huge point that i want to underscore is that you know if you need help if you can have help whether it's the form of a nanny or grandparents or a house cleaner whatever that may look like take it take, take it. it absolutely absolutely yeah. well to wrap up we, we've loved this conversation we loved having you on um we have a couple of questions sure that we'd like to ask you to kind of end end our lovely conversation today the first is what is the next big project that you're working on either in your business or in your life baby number three Dylan is trying to convince me. Oh, there's no good time to have them. You just have to keep having them. Ah, uh, no, in all serious. What's the next big project? Planning a holiday, right? A holiday would be great. Oh, one day. Does that qualify? That qualifies in my book. These days, it definitely does. Yes. 2022. <laughs> so, so what about with the business, though? What's what's the next? I mean, obviously, you've made the decision to grow what's the what's the next next phase keep going oh you know what i'm <laughs> i am terrible with uh with goals and milestones i appreciate that a lot of people need them and and value them i find them limiting so the minute i set a goal and then i achieve it i kind of get a bit depressed and i go oh that okay we achieved it uh that sounds sorry it sounds a little bit egocentric or not egocentric but um full of myself because, <laughs> because it sounds like i achieve every goal i don't but I kind of love being like, how far can we take this thing? Like, I don't know yeah. where the limit of this is. I just want to it's, push it's this. Pretty standard human behavior. It's like, yeah. what do you do when you get to the top of the mountain? You go, well, where's, where's the next one? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna. Sleep. You enjoy the view for a few seconds, and then you go, well, time to go back down the hill. Yeah. yeah. So, so growing, growing the, uh, growing the business, growing the team. Uh, I think for us, doubling down on helping people to have that aha moment with the product because it is such a different product to a lot of form builders out there. Yeah. All, so so we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about one of the, one of the other big ways that we differentiate from the rest of the market is because we're not a freemium product. We have no free tier. We can, and we do focus a lot on supporting our customers mm -hmm. in a very personal way. So we're, we're thinking through ways of doing that even more. So how can we, how can we really hold the hand of, a lot, of, a lot of our customers are people that aren't coming from strong technical backgrounds. They, you know, we may be the very first SaaS product they've ever used trying to solve a need for their business, especially in the current times where a lot of people are bringing a lot of processes online. They, they may very well land on paper form. So how do we actually support those people who maybe you don't have the standard basic building blocks of how to even use a product like ours? Yeah, we, and, and a lot of that's got just having the people there who are trained to talk to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's a brilliant point to focus on right now because, you know, that's that's one way that you're going to differentiate and stand out in a market, in a crowded market. And also at the end of the day, you know, I think it's about the people. And you, earlier in the conversation, you said that eloquently about in relation to your team, but I think it very much uh, resonates and, 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 and is... Um, echoed in the sentiment of working with clients and working with people who who utilize your platform so wonderful next question and and either one can answer or both what advice would you offer other spouses that either are currently working together or are looking to start a business together argue well argue well okay tell us tell us what you mean by that well i, th I think there's a, there's a few things there uh, arguing is obviously one end of the spectrum but but learn how you communicate and and think about it intentionally so one of the things we really did well early on in our relationship was we spent a lot of time thinking about our family dynamics where we came from how our families deal with conflict what are, what are our natural tendencies when 
when <laughs> when you get in each other's faces, how, how do you both behave? Because obviously, you know your partner and you know how to push each other's buttons. And we're so different. I think we've, <laughs> we've become more and more alike and yeah. it's getting that way, which makes things easier and easier. As but I think a lot of that becoming more alike is actually figuring out and being intentional with how you manage conflict for yourself. So I know, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a runner. If, <laughs> if, if there's conflict, I shut down. I, I, don't, I don't talk. And Dionne's historically has been far more the other way. She's far more aggressive <laughs> and assertive. He so, runs and I throw a shoe after yes, him. Yes, pretty much. So, so but, but being intentional and actually going, okay, maybe running isn't the best solution to every problem and maybe throwing shoes isn't the best solution <laughs> to every problem. It's <laughs> not so much. Um, but, and obviously, like, like we said before, especially when you're running a business together, trying to trying it's it's hard to do but trying to separate those things off sometimes you're just different and it's not personal and it's you know and that may not be ever resolved and 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 i I think in general not just with a married relationship but with 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 the world probably needs this at the moment is if your feelings are hurt about something that might not be really anything that the other person has done wrong it's not by default my feelings are hurt therefore you need to say sorry or there's something wrong i think there's a there's value in stopping and saying my feelings are hurt. Yes, that might have mean that someone did something wrong or my husband did something wrong, but it might also mean that I'm sensitive about this for another reason. Let's unpack that and see what's really going on there. Because until you unpack that, you're never going to be able to properly communicate if there is some baggage there um, that's happening. And then with that, for the other person and for both of you, really for each of your baggage, is being patient as they work through it. It's never going to be the case that, you know, let's say Dean and I have an argument and I go, oh, that really hurt my feelings, but actually it's not because of you, it's because of this other thing. It's not automatically fixed. That same thing will probably come up again. And so a big part of it working, our communication working is Dean going, oh, I like the next time it happens and the time after and the time after that, little by little as it gets better, him being gracious and, and giving me a chance to work through that rather than throwing it back in your face. I think... I, arguing well is about being very very honest and assertive and and fighting for what you believe in but really tampering that with being incredibly kind and always assuming the best in someone else brilliant i love i love both of your answers and they're both really valuable points that i think uh, our our audience can take away last question and this is something that you will answer about the other so diani you will answer this about dean and dean you will answer this about diani Dean's looking very self-satisfied right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you haven't heard the question yet, so. (laughs) All right. What is the one thing, quality, attribute, characteristic, each of you bring to your business that you couldn't do without? This is a good question. For me, it's Dionne's, Dionne inherently cares about everything. In some ways, it's it's really annoying in the business because because <laughs> I because I don't. But I don't care. <laughs> but she doesn't care. That but, she doesn't care that you don't care that she yeah. cares. But, yeah. but honestly, it, 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 it it's what makes paper form what it is because she holds the standard. What a huge compliment! Thank you. You are the measuring stick by which the company runs. That's an incredibly beautiful and lovely compliment and a testament to your personal relationship and your professional relationship. Yeah, it's really lovely. I'm a bit flawed. <laughs> um, Do better than that. <laughs> beat that. That's so our relationship right there. Compliment and beat that. Oh, We're not competitive at all. Oh, there, there are quite a few with with Dean, I think one of the things that's always struck me about him. It's my gray hair. Yeah, you're gray. You are going gray pretty quickly. He's, he's, has, he's probably one of the most patient people. And I think it speaks to, he's the most patient person I've ever met. And it speaks to not only the way he deals with people, but the way he approaches problem solving. He is, in my experience, the most talented developer and programmer that I've ever come across. And I think most people who work with him would say that very quickly. He's incredibly talented, but I don't think that talent is just a product of his abilities. I think it's his personality as well. So his patience, uh, he's like a dog with a bone. If you give him a problem, oh, it's so funny. He'll, he'll, um, 
he'll be working on something, something will break or not be working. And he'll be, oh, he'll, he, it's classic when he turns to me. This is something he gets annoyed at me at. He says, oh, I this thing can't be done. I want to do this thing, it can't be done. And I, I've learned now to just, just be quiet and say, okay, yeah, sure, can't be done. Kind of goad him a little bit. Because inevitably he will come back in a day or two and be like, oh, I figured it out. I've never seen him not solve a problem. I mean, we wouldn't have a product without him. That's amazing. You guys have been such a, a joy and a, and a pleasure to speak with. The, uh, in mixing business with pleasure, the pleasure was all ours to have you on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. We learned so much about both individually, how you guys work and your loves and passions, but also we got to see your personality really shine through, which is which is always a fun part for us. But more importantly than that, I think you guys really provided a ton of valuable tidbits and insight to our audience that I know that they will really love this episode, as did we. So thank you so much for joining us from Down Under on the Mixing Business with Pleasure podcast. Thanks so much um, for having me. Yes, thank lovely. you, Mike and Gabby. What a pleasure to talk with you both. And for, thank you for creating an environment where we can have this discussion so freely. It's, uh, it's a gift. Thank you. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We hope you'll join us next week as we feature another pair of co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.